I even brought my like my fire blood copy next to me. I was doing some research. I have mine over there. I could remember <laughs> one or two things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have mine over there as well. Hello and welcome back to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. And welcome to King's Landed. Welcome to West Coast. Welcome to the Seven Kingdoms. It's been so long. Today, I have convened all the lords and ladies of all the houses and all the families. Because you know what? I am announcing an heir. And I've got two friends to battle it up so I can figure out who the heir is going to be. Joining us for House of the Dragon. Bringing all their Westerosi knowledge, all their ice and fire nerd stuff. It's friends of the podcast and friends of the kingdom, friends of the realm. It's Abube and Fami. How are you guys doing today? It's about to go down. <laughs> oh, I think. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, so here's the thing. I'll talk about House of the Dragon. But guys, you know what? I have to know when to step back. I love I loved Game of Thrones when it was sensible to love Game of Thrones. And I'm very excited for House of the Dragon. But these people are no better than me. They know more than me on this on this topic. So we've got it will be our family in here, and they're going to talk about House of the Dragon for the next two and a half months, next ten episodes. So I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, they've obviously read the books, but and I think that will help in kind of shading this world and building the story and everything, hopefully. And then trust me, if there are any spoilers, I will cut that out because I am great like that. Uh, but yeah, everybody, we finished one prequel and then another week later, we're back talking about another prequel or just or just here talking about <laughs> our prequels or talking about House of the Dragon. Um, obviously, I'm excited to hear what you guys think about this episode, but I'll just say right now, since I'm not on the list of the episode, I'm strapped in. I'm ready. I went to episode and I was like, oh, okay. I'm I'm ready to go back to see this 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 dragon family, this blonde head family. So yeah, I'm excited for for this season. Um uh, guys, if you're on this podcast and you don't know what else we're talking about, we're talking about industry as well. All over the feed. We're talking about industry. Uh, we talking about episode four earlier this week. We're also talking about Lord of the Rings. They have a little show coming out in a couple of weeks. We're gonna talk about the Rings of Power as as well. And as I said, it would be a nice book about Peter Call Saul. So if you just want the finale and you want to hear our thoughts on that, it's also on the feed. Um, are you guys excited to talk about House of the Dragon? I'm not. You're not? <laughs> I'm listening with you. I'm gassed. M- m- imagine, if, this is the problem. We co- you committed to talk about House of the Dragon, but imagine if you're just like, oh, this, I don't like this episode. I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this show anymore. Well, then it's my ju- it's our duty to tell the people that it's the episode a- is not <laughs> likable. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um... Uh, but yeah, that's it on my end. I hope you guys have a great time talking about this show. You know what? I want you to talk about this show, but I also want to just talk about why being a dragon wrangler is probably the worst occupation in all seven kingdoms. I'm so worried because for those guys, that, bro. I can't believe that that is their job. Their job is just to... I was like, oh my God, why would you sign up for this? This doesn't make <laughs> they, any sense. They didn't sign up. They were definitely under duress. <laughs> uh, it's like, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, this is a job. This is an actual job. Anyway, um... Yeah, guys, please, please have a great time talking about House of the Dragon. And I'm sure I'll be back at some point during the season to, to check in and see, see what's going on. And let your George R. R. Martin nerd flags fly. This is a safe, safe space. We've, we've done a lot of nerding out on, on this podcast. So this is a safe space. And I hope you guys have a great time. And I'll be back soon. Yeah.
Yeah, for sure. Alright. Uh welcome, welcome, welcome to the popcorn for <laughs> I feel I feel funny saying that because I'm not <laughs> Alright, welcome, welcome, welcome. We have kicked out Bankole from you know <laughs> from the situation and we have taken over because it is Game of Thrones time. And as <laughs> huge Game of Thrones nerds and the Song of Ice and Fire nerds, we have decided that we will have this discussion. And maybe Bankali is good. We'll pull him in for another conversation down the line. Potentially. Um, Depends but, on how much he knows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I'll buy him a copy of the book and give him like two weeks to read the whole thing and yeah. be caught up to date. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But yeah, we're going to be having a discussion on season one, episode one of the House of, of, of House of the Dragons, um, set in the world of, of uh, George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones, just a prequel to the story that goes on in the original show. So obviously none of the characters that we know and love are going to be in, you know, reprising any roles in this new se- se- um, season or series rather. Um, and, you know, the dynamics would be, be a bit different because, you know, this is obviously when the Targaryens were still in power. So, um, this is not the same houses that were in power as, you know, that goes on when, you know, Jon Snow and Daenerys are, you know, being the badasses that they are. Yeah. So I think, I think the, the, the main thing or the first thing that sort of stands out to me is how the show makes an effort to ground us back in the world. It's like, okay, it's been some time. They acknowledge this. It's been three years now since Game of Thrones ended. So um, that gives us a lot to, to think about. Hopefully people's memories have been refreshed. I had a lot of friends who were like, they're not interested just because of the way Game of Thrones ended. I wasn't sure that was necessarily fair. Yeah. But, you know, it is it is fair, I guess, because people can choose what they want to do. And I think that those people should sort of give the show a chance because, as you said, this is set a long time before. We're talking about like, maybe like 172, almost 200 years before all of this. So I think it's appropriate to kind of talk about how we got here, right? So we know that um, the Targaryens were the last survivors of the Doom of Valyria, right? And how they did that, well, sure, it was through ships and dragons, but it was also through dreams. And I know we're going to talk about dreams at some point, but um, essentially, Denny's um, daughter of Enar Targaryen had a, a dream. She said that Valeria was going to get into some cataclysmic shock. And um, nobody believed her. Nobody believed the Targaryens. They left and they went to um, the Isle of Dragonstone, all right off the coast of Westeros, which we've seen Daenerys go to as well. That's why that was her base in seasons seven and eight. So um, they get there. They're kind of sitting around trying to start a new life. And eventually the doom happens and they were like, oh my God, we were right. I mean, we, I know we thought we were right, but we didn't expect to be this right. And they're literally the only ones left, except they're not the only ones left because there was another um, Valerian family that left and the, the Valerians and they settled on the island of Driftmark. And the Valerians are very interesting because they weren't dragon riders. They are shipbuilders, shipmasters as well. They have a massive fleet, bigger than anything you've ever seen in Game of Thrones. In fact, the um, current head of, of House Valerian, Corlys, who is on the small council, black dude with blonde, platinum blonde dreads, we see you. We see you. And <laughs> uh, he is actually the richest person in the realm, richer than Tywin ever was. 
definitely richer than the Tyrells, richer than the High Towers for sure. So it's interesting, but because I know he has some ambition. But getting back to sort of the um, the chronology of things, the um, the Targaryens are on on Dragonstone for a little while. They sit there for maybe three generations or so, and then Aegon's born, and he's like, "Hey, there's like a whole continent over there. Let's go see what it looks like." So he gets on his dragon. His two sisters get on their dragons as well. And they do a little bit of a tour of the place and they're like, oh my God, these people are all idiots. Let's do it. So, <laughs> so they take, they, they decide that they wanted to kind of unite the kingdoms, but it wasn't just because um, he wanted to have the riches and glory. That was definitely part of it. He's the call. He's called the conqueror for a reason, right? But based on certain things that we hear in this episode and certain things that have been mentioned in other sources before, he also had a dream and, um, like I said, we'll talk about that dream in a bit, but he wanted to unite the, the kingdoms for a reason. So eventually, you know, everybody bends the knee to Aegon. In the end, um, the kingdoms become one. Well, there's still seven, but they're one. And we actually see all the swearing of fealty in this episode. But as far as the dynasty is concerned, we know that Aegon was the first. After him was Ennis, after Ennis was Migor, and then after Migor was Jaehaerys. Who we actually see at the beginning of the episode he's called the old king he became king maybe at the age of 14 nobody ruled longer than him he and his wife basically brought prosperity to the kingdom they are the ones who created the king's road she was his wife actually um Alison, she was the one who um basically equipped the night's watch they created that little town near the wall that we see sometimes in game of thrones which has fallen to ruin by the way these night's watch guys need to account for some of the things that <laughs> but but in any case not their job. yeah like but, but yeah um it they she i mean she dies and he's the only one left and we we start to see the succession issues so one thing i find very interesting here is this show is kind of like game of thrones meets succession except that you know in succession they don't have dragons and they're not as bloodthirsty because <laughs> we have we, we have American law to deal with. <laughs> but there is no American law here. And, you know, they, they, they do have some laws, but they kind of allow for some gleeful violence. And, um, you know, tensions are definitely high because they showed us at the beginning of the episode Viserys being chosen as the heir. But how do we get there? Jaehaerys actually and Alison actually had a lot of kids maybe like 13 of them or something like that yeah and um his first son Amon, he um he had a brother he, so there were two two main sons i'm gonna say Amon and i think it was balon and Amon's daughter is um is actually in the show she is the other candidate for um for the succession um she's corliss's wife and she's called the queen who never was and the issue there, and at least the kind of the bone she has to pick with the family is that, well, Jaehaerys passed, um, after Aemon died, he passed over her and went to Balon. Then Balon died, he passed over her again and went to Balon's son, um, Viserys. And that's because, you know, the lords of Westeros want to keep things um, the way that they like. They want only a, ma only a man to rule. They don't think women are capable. They don't think women should be allowed to have that kind of power. So that's how we get to where we are. And we've seen the saltiness that that creates. So when Viserys says, you know what, I want my daughter to rule, I should have been grooming you this whole time. We're all kind of happy. But I think 
on some level, as we're paying attention, we're like, hmm, this probably is going to cause some problems. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that, that's essentially where where we're at now. The whole conflict of this new series is based on everything that results from Rhaenyra being named as the heir. So we'll see how things go. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I agree with, with, with all of that. You know, the Targaryen, you know, one thing I do find very interesting is that, you know, when the Targaryens eventually came to conquer Westeros, you know, nobody could stop it in their way. Like the only how, the, so there were seven kingdoms, obviously. Yeah. And the only kingdom that was able to, and they were warring. Yeah. Seven kingdoms who were all fighting with each other. And the Targaryens basically came and took over six of the seven. The only one they couldn't take over was Dorne because the Dornish people applied these built different for like a hundred of years. Yeah. Dorn, this Game of Thrones show did a very bad job of capturing how badass the Dornish were. It's and insane. I my bones to pick with them. But the Dornish were a badass house that re- resisted the Targaryen rule for over a hundred years before eventually joining the Seven Kingdoms by marrying, which is why the Dornish people kept are still called princes and princesses, whereas everyone else is called lords. Yeah. They never came by force. Yeah. They were never conquered. But uh, the point I was trying to make is that the Targaryens, when they came to Westeros, were the biggest badasses of all time. But in Valeria, they were actually one of the smaller houses. They only had a few dragons, and they weren't competing with all the bigger houses. In fact, so... The, they the were not at the top of the empire at all, yeah. Exactly. They were bottom feeders. And the stories that they, they tell is how the, the dreamer... I always forget her name. Danies. Danies, thank you. Danies, the dr- dreamer, she, they say that she had the prophetic dream, and that's why they left uh, Valeria. But there are also some sources in the world that George has created were like, no, they weren't, you know, wasn't a prophetic dream. They were exiled from Valeria, and that's how they ended up on Dragonstone, you know? So it's it's just interesting how, like, you know, in the world that George R. R. Martin has created, there's just different points of views on the same story. You don't really know which one is the truth. It's all half-truths everywhere. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. And Because uh, he likes to create these different perspectives. Yeah. And, um, I mean, even for the book Fire and Blood, like, he has two sources. There's a, there's a septum called Eustace, and then there's <laughs> there's literally this this jester that's um that nobody, that nobody respects and he the jester's stories are all about like scandalous stuff and then the septon is talking very like properly but they're talking about the same things you don't know who to believe so i feel like in this yeah. show we're going to be getting the somewhat objective version because they can only show one thing right so and yeah. since george r. r martin is a creator of this show and he's part of the show running team we thank god um we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be seeing hopefully some accurate depictions of what actually happened yeah I know. Loki, I do. I would love to see the Jester's point of view because the Jester, for people who haven't read the books, is something he's, he's a clown that just makes everything about sex and violence. It's almost like if you ever watch Succession. He's like Roman. He's literally like Roman. <laughs> There's a scene like where Roman jerks off in Jerry's bathroom and they're having breakfast the next day. And he's like, oh yeah, I jerked off in Jerry's bathroom last night. And everyone thinks, oh, this is obviously not true because like there's no way that happened. But like it actually happened. And that's kind of how I view the justice side of the story. But um, the disbelief, you know, man, disbelief. <laughs> he's just out here trolling people. I'm very excited to see Corliss for that Valerian story because uh, there, there are some characters over the 300 years of the prequel to the Game of Thrones that kind of become, you know, legends. I'm talking like Sir Arthur Dane, Igor the Conqueror, you know. And um, the Sea Snake is one of those characters. So I'm very much looking forward to I'm kind of excited that there's a black man playing the Sea Snake. I didn't see that coming because the Targaryens are typically, you know, fair skin, you know, purple eyes or lilac eyes, you know, mm-hmm. bleach blonde hair. So just to all of a sudden see a black man with dreads walking through, I was like, wow, let's go. I like that we're seeing that Corliss is very shrewd 
and that he doesn't have the patience for nonsense. Yeah. Because I feel like somebody in his position, especially being black, <laughs> would actually be so, <laughs> would actually be so tired all the time. He's like, like you can see his face in these small council meetings. He's like, oh my god, like what am I dealing with here? You know, and yeah, I, I think I think we're we're in for for a good ride with that. There's enough grounding and reality there for for us to kind of accept it. I think anybody who has a real problem with this probably just a bad builder, but honestly, <laughs> we'll <yeah>. see. <laughs> well, yeah, very excited to see Corliss Valarian. Um, also very excited to see um Damon, um the tattered was it the tattered? No, he's not the tattered prince. The prince of Flea Bottom is that what they called him? Prince of Flea Bottom, prince of the city. Yeah. And yeah, it, I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. I mean, I'm, he's he's really cool, and he's very yeah. volatile. Yeah. I. I mean, look at what we saw of him in this episode, right? He has a whole bunch of of things on his agenda, but and he's portrayed as this brute, but there's a lot going on in in his mind, and I like that a lot because he. Well, first of all, they're trying to get rid of him, right? They want him to. They want him to be able to, I guess. For lack of a better term, they want him. They want him to to kind of stay subdued. Um, you saw, like Viserys was talking about how they wanted him to do this thing. They don't want him to do that thing. They wanted. Like, eventually, they said, "Okay, let's make him commander of the City Watch," which actually is is an interesting historical thing because um, in the in the original series, we see um, the City Watch quite a lot. So we see them working with Tyrion in season two, for example. Janos Slint is their commander. He ends up on the wall, and they're called the Gold Cloaks. Um, Damon was actually the one who gave the City Watch of King's Landing their gold cloaks. So he is the reason they're called the gold cloaks. I'm, I'm very happy to see Rhaenyra in this show because I always liked her. And yeah. it's fair to say Rhaenyra walked so Daenerys could run, right? And I guess, you know, ultimately fall. But she is like, if you take Daenerys and like mix that character with like Arya. Arya, yeah. Honestly, I... I, I understand why people say, oh, she's like Daenerys. But to me, she's not like Daenerys. She's, she's not like Arya. Daenerys at all. She's literally Arya. She's Arya. And like, I love it. She's basically like, if Arya Stark was a Targaryen, what would that look like? That's how you get. Yeah. That's how you get. Because you just swap out Nymeria, like uh, Arya Direwolf for... Um, Cyrax. For, yeah, for Cyrax. And then, yeah, that's literally it. Because she's a very willful, very, you know, strong character who is like, you know, in the same way Arya is, you know, she does, she wants to learn about the world around her. She wants to, you know, she doesn't want to just sit down and like do court like how Sansa wanted to when she was younger. You know, from a young age, she was always willing to go the extra mile. She was just very willful, very strong. I, I love that character. Very, very good character. And I'm very excited to see Millie, Alrock, and Emma Darcy, you know, um, embody these characters because if you've been following anything about the casting news there are two actors playing this one character so that makes you believe that this is going to happen over a longer time span so obviously we know how the story of the dance of dragon ends but we're not discussing spoilers but you know the fact that there are two characters playing this one person over a long period of time should let you know that this isn't you know over in two three years in 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 the lives of the character this is going to you know stretch over a long period of time and um mm-hmm. some some of the kid actors would be you know, performed by older actors and you know that's going to be exciting I, I know what you said about swapping out in america for, for cyrax i mean that's an interesting idea because like you know that the targaryens are at the height of their power here you know like we're five generations into the monarchy now there is wealth there's power i mean Fire and Blood, the book, refers to the reign of Viserys as the apex of Targaryen power and wealth. The economy is booming. We can see dragon effigies everywhere. 
their tangible reminders of the symbolic power and dynastic control of this family. I mean, there are clearly still problems, and we see all of that in the headaches that come with running the city. But, mm. you know, we, that reminds us of the small council meetings of, like, early Game of Thrones, like season one, season two, yeah. how these guys were actually concerned with the minutia of making things work. But the biggest thing here is these dragons. And we see how, like, the dragons are literally, like, part of society, in a sense. Like, people are, have, have accepted that they're there. They're scared of them, but that's the, as the, as Rhaenyra says, that's the source of their power because that's the reason nobody will mess with them. And we see how they use these dragons. You know, they mount them with saddles, which I don't know why Daenerys never had a saddle made. <laughs> Honestly, you know, how they grabbing that thing. <laughs> yeah, we knew in the books that they that they mounted them with saddles, and we can see that here. But Daenerys was like, "No, I'm just going to cling to skills." I'm like, "All right, sis, it's your fault, Sham, but no problem. That's on you." Um, that's yeah, so I, I think that's reflective of how integrated they were into the daily life a part of, as part of the family, as part of the show's reality, yeah. you know, as well as, you know, them being weapons of mass destruction because they're difficult yeah. to control. Like the Targaryens, like, Viserys alludes to the fact that they are not really in control of the dragons. Like the dragons are still unpredictable. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think viewers tend to assume that they would not harm certain people. They wouldn't harm Targaryens, but they can. Like, yes, they say fire cannot kill a dragon, but I'd say still beware, which is one of the reasons, again, I'm I'm really worried for those guys that are wrangling the dragons. (laughs) Every time I see them, I'm just like, bro, how did you get here? And you're so confident about this. You're here speaking Valerian to this dragon. Like, I I genuinely thought, like, somebody was going (laughs) to die. I mean, I think... I, I don't even. I, somebody's gonna ask. One of those people are gonna ask. I hope they have good insurance or something, man. So because when they die, their family needs to be taken care of. Insurance, <laughs> as if these people would take care of presents. You know how they are. I mean, Viserys even has other things on his mind. You know, like yeah. I know George R. R. Martin said that he's he's really impressed by um, the way Paddy Considine is portraying Viserys, and I like it a lot yeah. too because Viserys in the book is not that interesting. He's a guy who wants to have a good time. Sure, he wants to. I mean, there's this decadent wealth, there's enjoyment. Even where, like, um, Emma, his wife, is giving birth in this episode, you can see that tapestry on top. It's like a lot of crazy stuff going on on top of that bed in that picture. Yeah. And, you know, he. I think Paddy Considine gives th- this character, like, um, this real depth. I know George Armand said it's kind of like a tragic majesty. Yeah. And I don't think the book Viserys ever really achieved that. And I think that's that yeah. that's very cool. But speaking of the acting, I was gonna ask you, how do we feel about the wigs in this show? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't I don't know yet. I don't know. How they do it. I I I'm just looking but I like the one on Rhaenyra, but Rhaenyra's know, wig honestly, was great. Daenerys's wig is still top notch. That's still, that managed yeah. to, look, to look real every single time, I'd say, no matter what they really did with her hair. But some of the people yeah. in this in this show so far, I don't know. I, I think I'm okay for the most part. I think it starts, I become a little iffy when it comes to Viserys. But when it comes yeah. to Rennie's, his cousin, Corlys's wife, I'm like, what is going yeah. on on your head yeah. right now? <laughs> I don't know why they've styled the hair like I that. I don't even like Viserys's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's all weird. But Viserys, though, he's like you said, he was like a very amiable king. He was um, he was he's what I call a peacetime king. So his father, not his father, his grandfather, his grandfather. Jairus, the old king who was king before him, was one of the best, most prosperous kings in you know the several kingdoms, and he was able to be a very he peacetime set the tone, king. Yeah. He set the tone for like 
what should have been like generational successful leadership because he was good. He was, he took over from a tyrant and was able to stabilize things. You know, this might not mean anything, but he disarmed the faith militants and the faith militants are the ones who were, who made Cersei do the walk of shame. So he's the reason why they were not in power because they used to be a big problem. And he's the reason why they weren't a problem anymore. Thank goodness he was around for a long time because, because yeah, he, he, he sort of, um, like you said, set the tone and he wanted to keep that. Like he knew that, okay, if I don't do this council, there's going to be a bloody battle for succession here because I can see tensions are high. He wanted to avoid it, but I guess people just can't really escape their nature because they really, really, really want to fight. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, so yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see where, where where that takes us. Hopefully, things don't get too too bloody. I suppose. But but speaking of like hot blooded yeah. people, what do we think of Damon? I like I like Damon. I like the I like Matt Smith portrayal of the portrayal of Damon. I feel that guy's like so good, right? Matt Smith. He's good. He's good. Like I'm I'm talking like he's like Jamie Lannister. Good. Like that kind of character where you're like, yeah, this guy can do some evil things, but you still like him for whatever reason. Exactly. You know, he's endearing. He's I like David. I'm very, very excited. I think so. The two characters that I'm most excited to explore are Minira and Damon. Like at least who are in episode one. There's some other characters. There's Kristen Cole, who I'm excited about his future. There's the mm-hmm. Sea Snake, who I'm excited to see how they're portrayed. But there is um the High Tower woman. What's her name? Um, Allison. Allison High Tower. Yeah, those, yeah. those are like the characters who I'm very interested to. Out of the ones who've been introduced to us, but you know, yeah. Damon is he's top of that list. He's he's up there because he's a really good character. He's a really good character. I like how, you know, just like with the Starks and their and their direwolves, these dragons are kind of sort of reflections of their riders. I mean, yeah. I think I mean Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra has been riding since I think she was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's so she's she's really, really like good at this. Like she has a bond with this dragon. I think it's very similar for Demon with his dragon Caraxes, yeah, who we see. And he's kind of I mean, Caraxes is clearly like He's described kind of as a as a rabid dog, so to speak, you know. And I think I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, he he reflects Damon's like ferociousness in a way. And um, I think we see that his neck is really really long. Apparently, he's kind of deformed. You know, he has a long neck. He has these tiny wings on his legs as well. He's really really fast. And um, there's going to be a lot that that we'll see coming from from the conflict before I, uh, before this, this this show ends. Yeah. Um, Damon himself obviously can't hold his tongue. He considers himself the Cerys' <laughs> heir, and you know, I mean, the whole thing about him calling his actual wife in the veil his bronze bitch, like that's a real thing. <laughs> that's from the source material, and I cannot believe these guys. I'm like, not these guys honoring this specific detail <laughs> of all the things you could adapt. Like, that's just uh, interesting to me because I mean, yeah. he's kind of brutal and he loves it. I mean. He loved being part of the the city watch. He loved commanding them, like cutting the hands off pick pickpockets. I mean, we see like the brutality of what they were doing to those people that night, just because. Yeah, like that was actually quite a lot. Um, I mean, he wields Dark Sister as well, the same sword that was that was wielded by um, by Visenya, um, who who rode with Aegon yeah, the first. Yeah. yeah, and you know his other wife Rhaenys had her own sword, but like you know, Valyrian steel is being passed down in in this family. Aegon's sword. Um, it's also being passed. And I think that's the one the king uses. But it's it's really it's really fun to see all these little um, references in there. Yeah. Um, as the narration um, says at the beginning, you know, 
this is, it's been about a century now since the Targaryens have ruled. Viserys I is the fifth Targaryen king. So that tells you just how far ahead of Game of Thrones we are um, in terms of the chronology because um, Daenerys' dad, the Mad King, Aerys II, he is the 17th Targaryen king. So we have a long ways to go before we get to what was happening in the original show. And I like that they're tying things together as well with the um, the Dream of the Winter. I mean, what were your thoughts on that? Um, dreams are obviously a huge recurring part of, you know, the whole Game of Thrones universe. We, we talk about like Daenerys in season two in the House of the Undying when she had her prophetic dreams of the future. Uh-huh. Uh, we're thinking about, you know, and obviously we're factoring all the black magic like Melisandre and things like that. You know, dreaming is just a huge part of the Game of Thrones um, ethos. But, when I initially saw that scene, because that scene is not something that we've ever seen before in any of the books or any of the supplementary material. So on one hand, I thought it added a bit of like a, a, a change that I didn't like to Aegon the Conqueror's storyline. It felt weird all of a sudden thinking about Aegon just wanted to conquer all the kingdoms just so that he could protect the world from, you know, no, Aegon was a conqueror. He just wanted to take over yeah. shit. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, at least that's how he has been portrayed up until now. So initially I had this exactly. knee jerk. Oh, I, I don't like that change, um, storyline. But then I thought about it and, you know, I was like, maybe I'm just like being a big gatekeeper to as what, you know, no, the book didn't say that. So you mustn't do that. And then I realized that, you know, this exact same dream that was talked about was also discussed in Game of Thrones. Um, so Mr. Amond, if you remember, Mr. Amond was the maester at, at, um, Castle Black. Yes. Um, and he was actually a Targaryen. And his, he was, he, he also could have been the king. That's a long story. He chose not to be. We'll, we'll get into that another time. <laughs> yeah. But he could have been king. And it's talked about in Game of Thrones, but he chose not to be king and to basically make his brothers rule, um, as, as straightforward as possible. So people don't like use them to play off each other for more power. He left for the Night's Watch. Now his brother ends up obviously becoming the king. His name is Aegon the Unlikely. I think it was Aegon the Fourth, but Fifth. you call him Egg. Fifth, Egg on the yes. fifth, but we call him Egg for short. And by the time Egg is king, the Targaryens have been through a lot, and um, he has prophetic dreams about this, you know, savior Azor High who will be born from his line, and that was one of the factors that made him shape things that ultimately, through not through his faults, but would lead to the downfall of House Targaryen in the ways of the Mad King, because the Mad King married his sister, yeah, and that marriage was forced upon him by his dad because he saw a prophetic dream about how their offspring will save the world. So, you know, and that offspring ended up being like Jon Snow, I guess, but you know. Yeah, and it's 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 weird because it, we we see we see this whole like incestuous thing that we've discussed, right? But the funny thing is Egg, um Egg on the Fifth, he actually wanted to stop the incest. He married outside of the family and he you know, it, it, they want, it became this whole obsession with the self-filling prop- prophecy. I mean, Viserys says in this episode that dragons are actually a power that man should never have trifled with. And they kept trifling with it. They had some really weird people in this family. There's this one guy called Arian who thought drinking wildfire would make him a dragon. I can tell you for a fact it did not. <laughs> and and now, you know, we get to the point where Aegon V is on the throne. We have the tragedy of Summer Hall, which happens. We don't know actually what went on there, but I have a feeling they were trying to hatch dragon eggs because the place burned down. And that's how the, like, the last people in the line died. So you have just um, Aegon's son, Jaehaerys. Um, he survives. And Jaehaerys was, you know, he... 
Aegon, like I said, wanted to stop the incest. So he wanted his son, Jaehaerys, to marry outside the family. But Jaehaerys and his sister were in love. So they married, despite Aegon's best wishes. Then Aegon dies. And it's like, well, nobody's there to stop us now. So they get married. They have Ares. They have Ares' sister, Riella. Um, and then they get married, even though they did not like each other at all. And then from that union comes Rhaegar, Viserys, who would have, in this case, been Viserys III if he was king, and um, Daenerys. And, of course, John, who also come, who's also there. And we have this whole thing about the prince that was promised um, that that it started from, from that because Aegon V has a similar dream. So I like that they kind of tied that really well together here. I mean, the, the cool thing about it is one of my favorite things about that prophecy is it could have been any of these people. We didn't know who it was going to be. Rhaegar thought it was himself, yeah. right? Yeah. And then he realized it would be his son. And that's why he became so obsessed with having more children. He, his marriage to um, Ilya Martel was not the greatest. Um, he didn't spend much time with her. They did have two kids. And one of those kids was actually named Aegon. But of course, they were all murdered by the mountain. Allegedly. Yeah, he's so obsessed with fulfilling this prophecy that he has another kid with a Stark, right? And names that kid Aegon again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, okay, I I see what you're trying to do here, but calm down at least. I mean, when when they were going to reveal Jon Snow's um, Targaryen name, his actual name in the show, I had my bets on like on his name being Jaehaerys or something like that. I thought, okay, maybe. Really? Yeah, I, I thought maybe his name would be because I thought that would be a cool name. It'll be a, it'll be a callback to a king who was known for being great. Yeah, you know, um, and maybe 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 Ned Stark wanted to. Maybe he just de- he shortened it. He like derived the name John from Jaehaerys because that's like yeah. a good crossover. Yeah. But um, in the end, his name was Aegon because alas, um, Rhaegar is obsessed with prophecy. The the show is so visceral with this um with with the violence. How are you feeling about that? Yeah. I mean, I'm here for it because, like, at the end of the day, so when you know the Game of Thrones uh, um, original uh, eight seasons came out, the Targaryens were you know no longer in power. They were it was only Danny and Viserys left, and you know before long it was Viserys, obviously, and Jon Snow. But the, what this show is going to like show us, and what I'm excited to be is to to see is why the Targaryens were badasses, why for 300 years these motherfuckers ruled everything, and, like, no one could challenge them because they were that badass. They were literally the pinnacle of everything, and they had dragons, and they were ruthless, you know? I mean, obviously, someone like Viserys, it's not obvious with him because he's more of a, you know, he's an amiable um, character, he's a friendly king, blah, blah, blah. He wants to please people, but, you know, there were some ruthless Targaryens, and uh, Daemon, obviously, is showing the inklings of being one of the more, like, if you mess with me, I will kill you kind of people. And he has a dragon who, you know, will do the exact same thing. So yeah. I'm, I'm here for all of it. All the violence, all the, all the, you know, plotting. And, you know, something else I love is that, so in Game of Thrones, there was, it was such a huge story. And by like season two, you know, Arya was in, um, Essos, which is like another part of this, um, Daenerys was all the way in, in um, you know, Marine and all those other slaver cities. You know, Jon was going north of the wall. So the story was very spread out. In, this series, it's all centered around King's Landing for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's going to grow. It's going to expand a bit because the Targaryens are the house of power. And the show is kind of about them. And they are situated in Dragon in King's Landing, which is the capital. So, yeah, you might see some other houses, some other places like Dragonstone come into play. But because of the story, it's just a lot more compact because it's about the Targaryens. Politics is very contained here, yeah. Politics is very self-contained. And it leads for a lot of the... 
political maneuverings that we came to know and love from the first two or three seasons of Game of Thrones, where like you know we're dealing with the White Walkers who are cool, you know, but you know you're you're worried about those minute political plays, you know, you know it's like Varys Littlefinger all over again, and I'm just here for it. And those are the things that we loved about Game of Thrones, right? Like people yeah. interacting with each other, trying to figure things out. I mean, season two was so great, just just all that nonsense of like. Tyrion doing what he was doing, playing playing with yeah. people's minds, like that was great. Yeah. And you know, Jaehaerys knew it's something that I've always been saying. I mean, because these people are untouchable. They're seen, you know, Rhaenyra's, um, Rhaenyra actually, you know, echoes that sentiment that they are seen as closer to God than men. I mean, they look different, they're built different, they um, they feel different to speak to. I mean, how like it, it's the, the way I, I've always put it. It's like when I'm talking to people about them, it's it's kind of like. Like it's a question of how do you how do you destroy something that's supposedly an unstoppable force? Like how do you destroy an unstoppable object? And usually the answer is from within by its own hand, right? And they echo that when they say um, the only thing that Jaehaerys knew the only thing that could destroy the Targaryens was themselves. Yep. And you know, you know, it was cool to hear that in the first few moments of the show. Speaking of which, um, narration is an interesting uh, storytelling device that they're using here. Um, Game of Thrones never wanted to do that. I'm wondering if they'll use other you know, devices like maybe flashbacks, um, kind of like, I feel like if they did, they would do it similar to how it's done in The Crown, which is, by the way, an excellent series. Everybody should go watch that. But yeah. um, where they go, where they jump back and forth in time. But I don't think that, that would necessarily be be the move. I think from what we've seen, they're kind of just going in chronological order, doing it like, you know, sh- showing these people as they grow into the people who actually embody that conflict. Yeah. Viserys' first dream that he mentions um, about his son taking the throne. I mean, that's such a vivid. Uh, it's such like it's such a vivid and indulgent fantasy of like just grandeur and majesty that I'm like, bro, yeah. you are really counting your chickens before they're hatched before here. They hatch, yeah, because <laughs> how are you here having a tournament to the birth of your new heir? Kid hasn't been born yet. Your wife is not yeah. doing that great, but you're not checking in on yeah. her because you're not very no. smart, are you? Viserys, like I'm disappointed in you, Viserys, because then you're like, okay, you have to make this difficult choice now. You want all of her labor to have been for something, and then she ends up dying, and then obviously the yeah. child dies too. He names the child after his father. Yeah. That child dies. Yeah. It's a it's a whole thing. And now I don't know, yeah. like what what were you, what were you thinking re- regarding like that dream, the indulgence? Yeah, I mean, so with 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 the dream about his son, you know, being born. I, you know, for me, Viserys, he's like, a, he's not a bad king, but he's just not a strong, good king. He's like kind of a spoiled kid. So it's like, yeah, he's going to be expecting his child to be born. He's like a sensible Robert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Robert, Robert, Robert. Oh. oh, what a guy. But yeah, it's like, he's not a, uh, Robert, what a guy. But he's not like, it's like he's he just expects everything's gonna work out, and you know, mm-hmm. growing up because his grandfather was such a good king, like things would work out, and he got used to just seeing not like it's like you don't go to the gym, but you want to come out, you know, shredded. You know, no, you have to put in time, you have to put in work, and like for him, he's seen his dad, try his grandpa, just do everything, and everything works out, but he never saw all the sweat, blood, and tears that went in, on behind the scenes to make that work. So he just expected, yeah. She's going to give birth because everything's going to be fine because everything is always fine. But it wasn't fine. And, um, you know, he definitely jumped the gun with um, that tourney. 
But I did like the tournament, though. It was like, I'm, I mean, I never really cared about jousting, but I even felt so. They, like, ma- they made it look cool. They made jousting look actually. Yeah, jousting, yeah. jousting is not supposed to look that fun. Let me just tell you. Yeah, now. That, it looks so intense. I was like, yo, did he, did that guy die? Because yeah. I remember the jousting scenes from like season one and season two, you know, in Robert's tournament. And it yeah. didn't look that cool. But this one looked intense. The camera yeah. angles, the shots, the horses riding. I like how they oh. showed the. Like the, just just the real indulgence in violence because these are these are crazy things. It's kind of like a controlled mosh pit in a sense because fights because <laughs> fights can break out in jousting and like nobody is stopping it because this that's part of what yeah. these people came to see and everybody sitting yeah. there is somewhat highborn most of them anyway and you know like I said the series is visceral like just these tactile depictions of motion and contact to the well directed and very ghastly violence you know like the believable reactions to it as well. Like even to the more true to life portrayal of childbirth, like all this stuff is going on. I'm, I mean, that juxtaposition between the tournament violence and yeah. the and the childbirth, you know, like yeah, I think that ties that visual element um, in a knot that really establishes the tone of the series. And I wonder if we have Miguel Sapochnik to to thank for that because you know he's one of the showrunners. He he's a huge. Um, He's he's a, he's a hugely achieved um, and accomplished filmmaker. I mean, he directed some of our favorite episodes from the original series. He was very good at the battle episodes. He did Battle of, yeah. of the Bastards. Did he do the um, Hard Home? I think I think he might have done Hard Home too, but I'm not sure. Yeah, he did the Battle for Winterfell too. He did all the big battles, I think. Actually. Yeah, because that, that was like his um, that was his that was his his forte. I'm gonna say and yeah. and and actually, yeah, you're right. He definitely did Hard Home. I can't see that being like that. It fits his his directorial fits, language. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And and I mean, I think the, the, the one thing I was wondering though, like, is this too much? Because this is episode one, right? And the kind the violence yeah. we're seeing here is actually really, really like it's kind of thing that you feel as you're watching it, right? So I yeah. mean, when we see when we see the jousters like get up and like they start fighting because they don't like the results and like people are literally yeah. like dying over there. Um, you know, is it even possible for people to be put off by this display? Like, I mean, is there such a thing as too violent in the world of ice and fire? Like, how do you think viewers are going to see this? I think that anyone who is watching this has, well, not everyone, but a lot of the people who are watching this have already seen Game of Thrones and Mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of violence in Game of Thrones. We've seen Reek, which was a very, very, like, every time I watch a Reek scene, Reek is Theon Greyjoy, (laughs) when he gets captured by Ramsay Bolton. We've seen Ramsey Bolton, okay? Like, we're ready for this and we're here for it. We know what we're signing up for. So it's like, you know, if you're squeamish and you're not ready for, like, the level of violence that's going to you know be portrayed in the show, then maybe you shouldn't watch it because it gets, like, I don't want to say it gets better or it gets worse, but it just stays true to what Game of Thrones is. There's always going to be violence. There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be sex. There's always going to be dragons and political maneuvering, quick, sweaty yeah. one-liners, you know, it's all... And again, this is this is a time of indulgence. This is a time where, yep. like, these people are at the height of their power, like we said, and you know, there's just the, it's kind of like the the budding of a city. Like King's Landing is starting to now really mature as a city. It's been around for roughly a hundred years now. Some stuff is still being constructed. I mean, so you you can see that society is really is 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 really kind of adapting to itself so to speak like they've accepted that they're dragons the city watch now exists to keep the peace um because like it's still a fairly new thing at this point and of course people are still afraid of of the dragons 
speaking of which, I'm. I think it was very cool to see the Dragon Pit in full commission. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've I really really enjoyed like one thing I liked about the end of season seven of Game of Thrones was when they had. I mean, the actual meeting and the logic of the things that were said there. Uh, but <laughs> no, no sense. but but having no sense. having them actually have that meeting in the Dragon Pit was very cool because that's a building that hasn't been used for maybe like a century and a half. You know, we saw like yeah. these skulls of dragons on the ground and there's a whole bunch of stuff that resulted in the dragon pit not being used that we will not talk about today. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, but it was very nice to see that. And, you know, shout out to the dragon wranglers. Um, <laughs> I hope they don't, I hope, they, I hope the showrunners don't kill you for fun. But, but I mean, the, these dragons, we're, we're going to see more of them. Um, Valerian the Black Dread, the dragon who was ridden by Aegon, biggest dragon in recorded history as far as we know, um, at least um, as far as the Targaryens are concerned. You know, we've that's the dragon whose skull we see um, under the the Red Keep, where like you know sometimes you, you see people having meetings in in Game of Thrones under the Red Keep, um, like in the crypts, where like they have um, I know whether it's like scheming. Sometimes it was Tyrion, sometimes it was like Kyburn. Yeah. I know when Kyburn was testing out that scorpion and showing it to um, to Cersei, that huge dragon head that um that he shot that's Balerion's head and we actually see Balerion's head again in this episode um with yeah. the fire around it it was huge um and th- it I, it looked even bigger than it did in show him just tells you how big yeah. this dragon was that's just its head it right a massive dragon Viserys the first um the king in this episode he actually rode that dragon um he was the one who um who mounted um Balerion and ever since Balerion died like he didn't really take another dragon you know, so like the biggest dragon now is um, that's still alive is Vagar, the one who was ridden by Visenya, as Arya Stark so precociously told us in in um, in, game, in early Game of Thrones. And um, you know, Vagar is is the biggest is the biggest one and the the strongest, I'd say, the oldest dragon, because these things can live for up to a hundred years. Clearly, you know, they live they live even longer than that depending on how things go and they never they never actually stop growing yeah as long as they keep eating they just keep getting oh my god okay the more we're just talking about this i'm feeling for the dragon pit. exactly okay, which would you rather be would you rather be a dragon wrangler or a nice watch brother Ooh. wow that is that is deep <laughs> <laughs> that is deep don't see that one coming um okay i think I think I'd probably be a dragon wrangler. Yeah. Because uh why? Well, the dragons the dragons are scary, but they're probably pretty interesting to be around. I I mean it, it's it's a huge job to kind of take care of those things. Hopefully you can form, you can kind of form bonds with them too. They come to I mean even even the most ferocious dog will will still hold off before it hurts the person who's trying to feed him, right? So Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of an interesting world. It's like it's a very like specific job that only a few people are capable of doing, and you know you still get to go home and have your family <laughs> at the end, hopefully. Um, whereas with the Night's Watch, you're not no, you're not you're not really getting support. <laughs> at least not at, <laughs> at, at least not at the time of Game of Thrones. At this point in the series, yeah. the Night's Watch is actually still very well equipped. I don't know if we'll ever get to see them in this show, but they're they're doing a lot, and um, and yeah, I think. I think that that whole um, 
the, the tone of like what it means to do specific jobs, what it means to have specific roles. I think that's really reflected in the conflicts in a good way. Um, I actually really like that throne room scene between Viserys and, and Daemon towards the end of the episode. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. That it, it read practically like poetry, you know. He's like, Oh, the blood yeah. of the dragon runs deep. It's like, then why did you cut me so deeply? It's like, wow. I'm just like, oh, dang. Wow. Dang. Bars. <laughs> Bars. That's some gangster shit. <laughs> right? I mean, it was it was really fun. Uh, and you know, even with the design of the scenes, you know, kind of cutting away and not immediately showing us who won that joust between Kristen Cole and Damon. I thought that was a nice choice. Yeah. You know, and juxtaposing that with the childbirth scene was also something. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think that was cool. And even just the way they do juxtapositions throughout the episode, I think is very fun. I mean, this first episode was directed by Miguel, which I think is, is a great choice. Um, but just the, the duality that they kept showing is, is a fun thing because duality is a real big, um theme in this in, in this prequel at least i think it's going to be you know juxtaposing that swearing of fealties of the of the high lords with demon's preparation for departure and viserys telling rhaenyra that she would become his his heir i think that was an excellent touch yeah you know cutting from viserys talking about the the long nights that the new long nights that's going to come with the terrible winter and that's when they they cut from there to you know recon stark at the time swearing his yeah. own allegiance yeah. so we know that yeah. you know the starks are here um, the high towers are here. Like all the lords are still here. I mean, Harrenhal definitely still exists. I mean, that's where they did that council. Jaehaerys called everybody to Harrenhal, and um, it's big enough for everyone. <laughs> ex exactly, and you know they did a lot of tourneys at Harrenhal, um, even right up until the point where the Mad King was was around. It was it was a place for all kinds of gatherings, and the place has always looked ruined. And it was dragons that did that. It's kind of a reminder. Yeah. Of, Targaryen's point of view is like, we destroyed this place because the guy who was here annoyed us and he was dumb. And we're now going to use it as our place for parties. If you don't like that, we can come to it. It's not, it's not an issue. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what do you think about the music? Uh, I was just about to, season. I was just thinking about that as, as you asked me that because God answers yeah. prayer. Right? <laughs> one, of my one of my main prayers, my wishes for this series was that they would please, please, please get Ramin Javadi to keep doing the music. I mean, yeah. Ramin is the unsung, like pun intended, he is the unsung hero of Game of Thrones as far as I'm concerned. Yep. I, like, yep. th he's, the, he's, he's the king of light motifs. Like this man knows yep. how to write a theme song. And I don't just mean yep. like the main title theme. I mean, he writes Everything. themes for ideas. Everything. He writes themes for characters. And you can see things weaved in. Like I could talk about the music in Game of Thrones, like for like hours, honestly, because it's so yep. detailed. The way the way he he merges ideas and like he's using this sound to tell you a story. Like sometimes you're seeing something in front of you, and then there's a twist that comes up later. You watch that scene again, and you hear that the music is like they were telling you from the beginning something was wrong yep. here. Yep, and literally. It, yeah. the the perfect example for me is Cersei's when Cersei blows up the the Red Keep. Yes. The music from the that whole sequence. Oh my that light god! Of the seven that song thing is crazy. was so the anticipation, the build up to the because it was unsettling. It was unsettling. Yeah, because we, we hadn't heard. It's, this is the end of season six, and we've never heard them use piano. So as soon as I yeah. started hearing piano, I was like, "What is happening? <laughs> what is happening?" And the song was just so unsettling, and and, and it was it was really fun, honestly. I mean, when it even comes to the ideas, like there is this scene in. In I believe it is season six, episode three, um, where John says his watch is ended and he kills the guys. He executes the guys that killed him. 
right? Yeah. Which yeah. is such a weird sentence to say. <laughs> but yeah. he, he, he kills the guys that killed him. Um, and while he's doing that, you know, he's thinking like, okay, should I do this? Should I not do this? And he realizes that he has to do it. And yeah. it has, he realizes it has to be done and that he has to be the one who does it. And he yep. turns around, he turns away from there for a moment. And then you can kind of see like this fire in his eyes light up. And he's like, and you can see just the rage building up. And when you go watch that scene now, you're actually hearing the Targaryen theme under there, like very, very low. <laughs> like, so from that point, they've been telling you, like this is season six, episode three. We don't actually get a chance to know anything about Jon Snow's birth until the end of season six. And we don't really see anything about who his true parents are to the end of season seven. But you can see they've been building this idea that something is different about this guy, more different than we know he's different yeah. from the beginning of, yeah. se of season six. And that's that's so fun, honestly. Like that is that is such a, a great thing. So yeah, I'm really glad that Ramin is here. Ramin should never leave. I'm really looking forward to more of these performances, especially um, the girl who's playing um, young Rhaenyra, Millie Alcock, I think is her name. Yeah. I'm looking forward to um, more of Millie's performance because I'm really enjoying that. I like how she brings Rhaenyra to life. And I want to see how they transition that into Emma Darcy because um, that person is going to have um, an interesting take on power, an interesting take on Damon's role in the family. Um, and that's as much as I can say, really. But um, uh, there's like, well, there's there's really one person, or one other person in this conversation who knows exactly what I'm trying to avoid saying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, she she is. I mean, Emma Darcy is non-binary, which um, you know, it's it, it's cool to see um, some diversity, not just in terms of race. I mean, again, shout out to the Valerians. I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing more of them. Um, but but yeah, I'm. I don't know. I guess. I guess it's good to see people who would normally um, not get certain rules kind of be getting them. Yeah. Also, as far as the Valerians are concerned, very interested. Let me put it this way: I'm I'm very like if there's a chance to see rich black people, I'm probably there. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm I'm glad that that we can that we can get some more of that. Yeah. All right, we are over an hour now. But we'll soon start shouting at us. <laughs> yeah, but I guess just as a um, I guess my final thought about, you know, the whole show is that I feel like, so obviously when you're thinking about House of Dragons, Game of Thrones is going to come to mind, but I mm -hmm. think it's important to kind of enjoy the two of them separately. I hope, yeah. like, I, like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, opposed to the occasional call in to like, you know, the Game of Thrones just for, you know, it's fan service, right? But I feel like they shouldn't do it too much. I feel like they should be a separate story, you know, treated separately. Oh, let the show be independent. Dynamics. Exactly. exactly. Let the show be be independent. And at the end, you can do like tie-ins, kind of like how Better Call Saul occasionally had tie-ins to the Breaking Bad universe, you know, yes. story, not universe. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited by this world set up. It's, um, to be honest, I had been like not really looking forward to it. I was like, yeah, I was just, I realized I was, it was a disappointment from the previous, um, the ending of the, of the, of the Game of Thrones. But when the, you know, the intro started, I just, I was so hyped. It came out of nowhere. I, I, it surprised me. Like, I was like, wow, okay, we're getting more of this. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm smart. very excited for this world that's being created by, um, you know, and it's, you know, unlike Game of Thrones, you know, the Fire and Blood book, which I have, I did my homework 
my book is right next to me. I was reading it just to make sure I remembered everything. Um, <laughs> the story is already finished. So, you know, if you're interested in the books, and I say everyone should pick up one of the books and read, unlike the Game of Thrones, which has five out of seven books out right now, this is just one book. So you can read it and, you know, maybe after the show ends, before the show ends, and you can get your own opinion on it. You know, George isn't paying me to promote his book, I swear. Yeah. And, um, you should read the book. Um, and in, unlike Game of Thrones, this story is ended. So, you know, it's not... There is a lot more material for the show on us to pull from. And we don't have to worry about them making stuff up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they can they can spice throw in a little bit of spice here and there, but they don't need to like make entire things up, you know. Yeah. <sighs> well, I'm not triggered by by, by season three, I swear. <laughs> Right, do that you have is, any final thoughts on? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Just that I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to how things go. I mean, I first read um, the Princess and the Queen slash the Blacks and the Greens like eight years ago, and you know, I have Fire and Blood too. I love using it as a reference for things. Um, I haven't finished it, and I think I'm definitely going to, going to, and like you said, everybody should read the book. I'm, but I'm, I'm actually looking forward to interesting surprises. Things that maybe I've forgotten, some slight details I may have forgotten. See how they, uh, I want to see how they do certain things. I'm, I'm actually, I would encourage them to, you know, like you said, spice things up. Like it's an adaptation for a reason. Like people who are always mad that certain things aren't the way they were in the book always confuse me. Yeah. Because like, I don't know, then why are you here? Like that version you're talking about, you have it. It's, it's in the book you read. Yeah. <laughs> Go read it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're going to come yeah. here, then have an open mind about what's what what's what's going on. But yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it from us today. Um thank you for everyone who's been listening up until this point. Remember to yeah. um to share the podcast um with anybody that you know would be interested in it or people who you think could be interested in it, engage with the posts on social media. Yeah. Um post let us know what you think. Um we're gonna be here for the long haul. So um Hopefully you're not tired of us after today because um, there's really not much, there's, there's really not much you can do about that. Yeah. So so yeah, that's um, that's it from us. Yep. And um, check out everything that Popcorn for Dinner um, is working on, other than this show. Um, there's still going to be coverage of industry, and there's a lot more stuff coming up as well. So stay tuned. Yep. And if the Breaking Bad series also just wrapped up maybe last week. So, you know, if you are, sorry, not Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. The Better Call Saul, if yeah. It's a Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. I think it's a beautiful recap. Um, points were made, you know. Yeah, points um, were made. I, I did my best to make points. I mean, I'm actually saying, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, there may be some people who are actually tired of me. Because <laughs> I'm just here. But, but yeah, go check that out. Um, again, let us know what you think. And yeah, see you next time. All right. But yeah, Aegon showed up with his his sisters and also his wives because he married his sisters. Yeah. Which is a theme in this show. Anytime I see like any incestuous thing, I'm going to point it out.